Welcome to this latest edition of the Food Systems Podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. I'm Mark Titrington, and today I'm joined by Genevieve Pons, the Chief Executive and Vice Chair of Europe, Jacques Delors, to discuss her recently published paper, co-authored with Pascal Lamy on the geopolitics of the Green Deal, particularly in relation to reconciling the environmental considerations in international trade. Genevieve, a very warm welcome indeed to you. Thank you for for joining us. I, I want to start by asking you about the discussions, given the discussions and the outcome of COP27 in November and arguably COP15. How would you assess where we are globally in reconciling the environment with international trade? And where do you think the key points of tension and perhaps the opportunities are? Okay, uh, so let's start maybe by COP27 because that's the most tricky. Uh, The word uh, climate is not present um, in uh, the WTO founding text and especially in the Marrakesh preamble. You find uh, sustainable development, you find natural resources, you don't find climate. So there are still five uh, members, five states members of the WTO who do not want to discuss about climate. Uh, So that's the most tricky part. And um, it's a complex, it's a complex uh, relation uh, globally between uh, trade and environment, with this addition concerning climate. Uh, globally, trade and environment do not have a very simple relation. You can consider that um, trade increases pollution because trade favors growth. So that's a first way to look at this relation. But at the same time, trade encourages specialization. And that means that you can produce the same product using less natural resources. So this is a positive relation. Also, trade accelerates uh, the diffusion, dissemination of uh, technologies, and especially uh, technologies which are favorable for the environment and to fight climate change. So it's a complex relation. And uh, studies have shown that if we stop trade, we will not be efficient in fighting climate change. So the, the question is rather to put trade at the service of the environment and of the fight against climate change. Uh, This complex relation has to be explained. Um, Let's come back to climate. Climate was not even mentioned in the uh, Paris Agreement. No mention of trade in the Paris Agreement, but trade can play a role in fighting climate change. Uh, And at the head of the WTO, we have now uh, Mrs. uh, uh, Okonjo Iweala. Uh, she's a successor uh, to Pascal Lamy, and she's convinced 
of the necessity to put trade at the service of fighting climate change. What happened in COP27 is precisely that uh, the annual report of the WTO was published at this occasion and explains the complexity of the relation and foresees pathways to put trade at the service of fighting climate change. But as I told you, there are still members of the WTO who do not want to speak about climate. So as WTO is a member-driven organization, progress will not be made at global level as far as trade and climate are concerned, but at plurilateral level. So not the totality of the members of WTO, but a part of them. And this is what is being accomplished. It was, it was launched before COP27, uh, and uh, it will last beyond COP27, but there are coalitions of states, members of WTO, who want to go uh, further in fighting climate change. And one of these coalitions, uh, the, the Ministers of Trade for Climate, has been launched officially on the 19th January 2023, so uh, just one month ago, uh, in Davos. But uh, let's come a, a bit more globally on, on trade and environment, because in this field, there have been progress. Uh, progress have been uh, triggered by the decisions of the appellate body. The appellate body has put more value on environment than in trade in certain circumstances and accepted discrimination, trade discrimination in the name of the protection of natural resources, and it's a famous shrimp and, shrimp and turtle decision of the appellate body. And uh, also uh, states, members of the WTO, uh, have, have made progress, and the most significant one, after 15 to 20 years of discussion, in the agreement that has been attained a few months ago, on uh, fishery subsidies. And uh, uh, this has to be celebrated because it means that this is possible. So we have a supplementary obstacle as far as climate is concerned. It will be more tricky, but uh, in the field of environment, uh, there are progresses. Maybe we should also mention plastic. There is a dialogue on plastic. Uh, which is uh, uh, very much uh, linked with the negotiation that have been launched uh, with UNEP. And so, um, well, maybe that's a starting point. A complex relation, sustainable development mentioned in the preamble of the WTO, uh, environment and natural resources mentioned also, progresses in this domain, a bit more difficult as far as precisely climate is concerned because of the resistance of some members of the WTO. However, progress can be made uh, from a conceptual perspective, and this is what the 
what the report, the annual report of the WTO published in uh, uh, COP27 uh, shows, and also progress can be made at plurilateral level. You've you've talked about a number of things there, Genevieve, which are interesting. The the complexity of this topic. Um, you've talked about trade potentially being a, a a very positive and progressive role in helping to make progress on the environment, on climate. You've also touched on groups of countries that perhaps want to go further and and, ex- and extend the progress. And leadership there is is clearly important. What struck me in your paper is that you you clearly believe that the European Union is is well placed, but perhaps uniquely so, to lead in this area. Not only making the case, um, putting putting in place the concrete measures that can better align environment, climate with trade. I wonder if you could elaborate on why you do believe that the EU is well placed, and and what you think those key measures can and should be that that could make the difference. Okay, I I would say that there are two main reasons uh, for which the EU uh, plays a a leadership role. Uh, The first one is that the EU has a high uh, ambition as far as environment and climate is concerned. Um, This high ambition has been uh, shown with strength at the occasion of the last European Parliament elections. Uh, the MEPs, the members of the European Parliament, were really elected with a clear mandate for fighting climate change and for a better environment. And this was the origin of the Green Deal, because when Mrs. von der Leyen had to be confirmed by the European Parliament, she had to be elected by the European Parliament. When she came toward them, she came with a mandate which was reflecting the mandate of the MEPs, and she came with the idea of the Green Deal. And so she has put on the table the Green Deal project, which is very ambitious. And also, um, very concretely, A few months after the Green Deal, the EU adopted um, a plan to get there, so to get to uh, climate uh, uh, neutrality uh, by 2050. And this is the Fit for 55 package, which means that if we want to be carbon neutral by 2050, we have to reduce our emission by 50-55, by 2030. So we know how to get there. And we have already adopted most of the proposals that will lead us to carbon neutrality by 2050, which means that the ambition is becoming reality. We are very serious about this ambition. But we cannot be ambitious alone, because to get to carbon neutrality by 2050, we need a high carbon price, because we need a deterrent for big polluters. But if we apply a high carbon price on our producers, 
without taking measures at the border, what we will achieve is not fighting climate change, but just sending our polluting industries elsewhere. That's why there is a narrow link between our ambition and trade. So the first reason why we must take the lead, and we actually take the lead, is that we have a high ambition inside. But the second reason is that we are the biggest internal market in the world. And so when we adopt a standard, uh, or when we put a price at our border, it makes a difference. Uh, let's take the example of REACH, which is the European regulation in place for maybe 20 years uh, to uh, regulate the production of chemicals in Europe. And this regulation uh, concerned the placing on the market of chemicals, which means that you cannot sell a chemical that does not respect our standard, even if it is produced elsewhere. So the fact that we have this big, big market makes us uh, able to lead by our rules and to show the way by our own ambition. I think you 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 talked there about the ambition, the domestic ambition of um, of Europe, the, the, the Green Deal, perhaps the most ambitious of its kind anywhere in the world. You know, certainly um, until uh, the Biden administration came in and started looking at adopting similar measures. Um, I, I think I recall you in your paper arguing that you thought that whilst the EU um, had been very ambitious in, in trying to reconcile these challenges of environment, climate with, with trade, um, and perhaps to an extent bilaterally as well, it's been more cautious on the multilateral level, obviously the engagement with the big trading partners around the world. Do you think that really is the case? And and if so, do you think it's it's beginning to change? And you talked about the carbon border adjustment mechanism, perhaps have been one of those examples of being very bold in an international context. Okay. As I told you, we cannot act in isolation. Uh, for the reason I gave you for the, the price of carbon. If we have a high carbon price inside, we have to apply the same carbon price outside to the same products. Uh, and we cannot also uh, avoid tensions. So we have to go everywhere and explain what we intend to do, the reason why we are acting like that and see with our partners how to accommodate for that. So avoid carbon leakage, but also avoid tensions and avoid being uh, drawn to the WTO um, tribunal, I would say, and, and you know. Uh, so we have to, we have to apply uh, diplomacy towards our main partners. Uh, we have, as you know, bilateral uh, 
dialogue with the US. It's not always easy because we we do not we we do not act in the same manner uh, against uh, climate change, and this has consequences on the way we trade. So we need uh, we need a bilateral dialogue with with the US. We need also this bilateral dialogue with our biggest partners like China or India, and I will forget a lot of them. But we need also to be understood by developing countries, be they, be they small or big. But some of them are really very much uh, concerned uh, by the CBAM, uh, especially the ones which are producing um, products that will have to pay the carbon border adjustment uh, tax. So we have to go to them and to not only explain what we intend to do, because this is not their main problem, understanding what we intend to do. Their main problem is how to cope with that. So how to decarbonize their own production. And the EU has to give an answer to this question, and a very practical one. Uh, there is a case uh, which is, uh, I think, uh, which can be transformed in a success story. Um, it's the Mozambique case, because Mozambique is producing aluminium. And the aluminium produced by Mozambique is not, uh, is rather carbon intensive. And if, if, it, if it remains like that, Mozambique will have to pay the carbon border adjustment tax. But we can help Mozambique transform their production. So we can help them find uh, sources uh, of electricity which are less polluting. And this is exactly what the EU is presently doing with Mozambique, helping them get their electricity with less carbon intensity, which means that they will not have to pay the, the, the carbon tax. So this is an example. Uh, we are not, we cannot act in isolation. Uh, our measures taken inside have to be accompanied by measure that will touch our partners, but we have to go to our partners and to explain to them uh, the reason why we act like that and to find a common ground for the sake of our common good, which is climate and biodiversity. So find solutions that will not aggravate climate change, which would be the case if uh, there was a carbon leakage, for instance, or at least that will not that would not have any diminution of of emissions. So we have to act with them in different manners, and there is a lot uh, of cooperation with the South to be considered and to be invented, not only financial but also technical, technological, and on the ground. But maybe this is something else than the multilateral. Uh, um, question you were putting. So if if it, if it was something else you wanted to know, 
please come back. No, I, I will. I mean, you, you've given a lot of examples there that I think are uh, helpful. Um, I'll come back to the U.S. dialogue um, dimension of that in, in a second, which is something the forum has been has been working on. It, it probably is an unfair question, Genevieve, but if you if you did have one recommendation that you thought at a macro level um, would enable the European Union to be even more effective in reconciling trade with environment and climate considerations as part of that multilateral diplomacy, what, what would it be? Uh, in a certain manner, we proposed it and invented it uh, at the Sustainable Development Commission at the OECD. Uh, it was in 2020, and it is now taking shape. What it is, it's uh, it's what we had called a comparability forum. The US are acting through standards and subsidies. We are acting through carbon price and a carbon adjustment mechanism. There are now 70 um, taxation or carbon pricing system around the world, but all different. Nothing is identical. So standards, subsidies, carbon price, taxes, uh, trading schemes, and so on and so forth. So all of this is different. The aims are the same. Reduce the carbon content of our production and consumption. And the question is, how can we compare these different ways to act? How can we avoid an adjustment at the border? How can we avoid tensions? We have to ensure that these different methods are comparable. And we have to find a way to measure the impact of uh, the measure taken on the carbon content, but also on the price. So it's a very delicate relation uh, between carbon content, carbon price, because we have, we have to be fair when trade is concerned, we have to be fair at the border. And this very complex question uh, has to be in the hands of experts and, the, and it has to be at global level. The expertise is uh, lying very much inside the OECD, where a very recent conference took place, it was last week or maybe 10 days ago, uh, for the launch of this forum. Uh, so the expertise has to, to be uh, at OECD where, where it exists. However, in our view, it should be better placed at the WTO because it would be better placed in a broader club. OECD is very often seen at the club of the rich. So we have to escape from this image and be at global level. So our proposal was that the forum be set in Geneva within the WTO 
with participation of the OECD as far as expertise is concerned, but also UNEP and other relevant organizations. So it has started at the OECD in a certain manner with our idea three years ago. It is now taking shape uh, with this conference at the OECD, but where, uh, for instance, Mrs. Uh, Iweala uh, Okonjo uh, was uh, was present, and uh, hopefully, it will go from the OECD to a broader club, uh, maybe the WTO, because it looks for us the most appropriate to to be considered by by uh, developing countries also as their forum. I want to finish, if I may, Genevieve, um, having talked about the multilateral and the global dimension, perhaps to come back to this bilateral discussion between the European Union and the United States. And um, I don't know if you have thoughts on the Inflation Reduction Act, um, po possibly incorrectly named, given that there's so much about climate and the environment in there on the United States side. And Europe's response to that with the Green Deal industrial plan. At the, the heart, both sides are aiming to enhance the competitiveness of the way that their economies get to, to net zero and achieve that transition. I just wonder what your thoughts are on, on that and how compatible they are in this context of international trade um, and the relationship between the two. Uh, first of all, um, this IRA is a good news, good news for, for, for us all, because we need this very big economy, the biggest in the world. We need this economy to transform itself uh, very radically and to shift away from fossil fuels to go to, towards renewable. If the US achieve this, if they if they gain a lot in energy efficiency, if they invent a lot as far as renewable energy is concerned, they transform their production and consumption. It's a very big step forward. You know that individually, each American citizen is emitting more CO2 than any other habitant of the planet. So the transformation of the US economy and society are absolutely key for the survival of humanity on this planet. So it's very, very positive indeed that such an ambitious program uh, is adopted. At the same time, the uh, means to achieve that transformation the means that have been chosen are threatening uh, threatening partners, I would say, trade partners, because it's all about, well, standards, but also, and that's the main problem, subsidies. The capacity of the U.S. to uh, grant subsidies is enormous. Well, actually, it is... Uh, without any limit, because the U.S. has the dollars, and the U.S. can create money and can create debt without uh, any difficulty. 
So the U.S. has the biggest capacity in the world to grant subsidies. And not any other uh, entity, state in the world, can grant as many subsidies as the United States, which means that uh, it will it will give to the U.S. companies uh, a competitive advantage, which will be very difficult, difficultly matched by other companies. This is a danger. The danger is also that these subsidies attract to the U.S. territory uh, innovative companies that are elsewhere in the world. And as far as the EU is concerned, the EU is afraid that their most innovative companies are attracted to the U.S. territory and do no longer produce on the EU territory. And so that's the, you know, with everything in the U.S., you have a very big positive, a very big negative. It's very big anyway. And uh, so um, the EU has shared the, the preoccupation with the US. We are very united in the fight uh, against uh, Russia uh, in the aggression uh, um, of Ukraine by Russia. So we are united in many manners and we should, we should really privilege dialogue. And this dialogue is underway. But at the same time, the EU had to react by trying to match the US package. And this is what has been adopted uh, a few days ago. I think it was last week or the, the, the week before. I don't, don't remember exactly. It's, go, it's going really very, very fast. And so we are trying to, to match the US subsidies. And especially to relax uh, the stated rules as far as uh, notably uh, renewable uh, energies and techniques, technologies are concerned. I think that the main, uh, the main uh, picture uh, presently. Well, as you say, um, Genevieve, uh, there's there's large positives of of having two of the the greatest trading blocks in the world um, orientate themselves to achieving the challenges and overcoming the challenges that we have on environment and and climate. And it's right that the dialogue takes place as to how that is done in a in an equitable manner from a com economic competitiveness perspective. Um, I want to thank you uh, very much indeed for the time that you've taken with us today and to, to bring to life many of the thoughts that are in the paper that you co-authored with Pascal Lamia. can only recommend that to, to anybody following this um, po podcast. It really is an insightful um, analysis and, uh, and recommendations on, on what can be done in relation to the geopolitics of the Green Deal and reconciling environment, climate and trade. Genevieve Pons, many thanks indeed for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to another edition of Food Systems Podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Join us again next time.